This is Real Business in Real Time with executive coach Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Learn what C-suite execs and business leaders have learned in the real-time, real-world school of hard knocks. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Hi, everybody. This is Mark Hinderleiter. Welcome to Real Business in Real Time. I'm an executive coach and I hold a PhD in organization and management, but the truth is my greatest lessons in business came from the school of hard knocks when I was a senior vice president for a billion dollar company. So the purpose of this show is for listeners to benefit from the real world experiences of successful men and women willing to share their greatest lessons. My guest today is Mike Brown. Mike is the founder of the BrainZooming Group, whose customized, collaborative approach to strategy, branding, and innovation operationalizes design thinking to transform organizations. Mike's also a prolific writer. His latest book, Idea Magnets, helps business leaders cultivate innovation for themselves, their teams, and their companies. BrainZooming attracts clients across industries, and Mike reaches a global audience of hundreds of thousands every year through his articles, speaking engagements, and consulting work. You know, what intrigues me about Mike's experience is that he's been that big company executive as well as a startup business owner. He's been the inside guy as well as that external consultant. And that range of experience and perspective qualifies Mike as an expert worth listening to. So Mike, welcome to Real Business in Real Time. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited that uh, we get to chat after a few years of not chatting. So I'm yeah, that's really right. looking Mike, forward to this. Yeah, known each other for well over a decade, so it's great to reconnect. Absolutely. So today's topic is strategy and execution, connecting the dots. So Mike, if I could quote Yogi Berra, The future ain't what it used to be. And why I selected that quote is, you know, the rate of change in business, strategy development has evolved and must be a whole lot more agile. So let me just start off by asking you this. What are the challenges that you see with executives and companies developing effective strategies in today's fast-moving, fast-changing business environment? Yeah, it's a really intriguing question, Mark. I think it's sort of the overall thing that we see with clients, but I think just in general in talking to business people is because things are moving so fast at times, there's almost a sense of, well, we're not going to do strategy. We're, we're just going to implement, we're going to run hard, and, and we're going to be smart about things. And that's an admirable hope, but I think there's still room for strategy to work, I think it just works differently. And and we see that. I mean, we ask readers on the website a lot about their opportunities or challenges with strategy. And I think they bucket up pretty nicely. And one is strategic thinking. And how do you you cultivate strategic thinking in an organization? Others, it's more the process side of things where, you know, when I grew up in the corporate world, I mean, we'd spend months and months and months. I mean, for an annual plan, I was thinking about strategy planning in April and and getting ready. And and nobody has time for that. I think the third is 
making sure that the time investment and the effort in strategy is actually paying off in strategies that will be successful and, and they're able to articulate what the organization needs to do. And the fourth one, which I actually think is the most important, but I fear a lot of strategic planners or, or people just developing strategy don't think about early enough, is implementation and change management. It, yeah. It's so easy to let that go to the end. Well, now we're going to implement, and we really try and push people. Think about that from the minute you start strategy, because it will be the thing that will keep the plan on the shelf or really cripple you from, from getting the results you hope for. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I get it. The development of strategy has to be different. We just can't see 10 years out anymore. We can't see five years out anymore. But that's not a good reason just to ditch the process because we have to we have to have a game plan. Yeah, uh, it, it may not be a five year game plan, but we have to have a game plan so that we can kind of rally the troops and and understand our marketplace. Uh, you know, one of the things that I see, you know, successful businesses doing is just outthinking the competition. So we really do have to think strategically. Yeah. And that idea of outthinking the competition Um it's interesting because a lot of the companies we wind up working with are really smart about their their businesses, their industries, they're they're near the top, but they're so smart they understand that what they've been doing isn't necessarily going to going to work into the future. And and they're thinking ahead and realizing we've got to disrupt our thinking, we've got to look at things in different ways. And I think that's really perceptive of those kind of management teams. I think a lot of organizations, you know, talk about that, but you can get so wedded in how you've done things and there's a comfort to that. If you can't break away, it's going to be tough to be agile enough to, to roll with change and, and flex your company or pivot your company in an effective kind of way when that change does come along. Yeah. And it's a, you know, that, that's kind of a scary thing to do, really, for, for businesses, because, you know, most businesses who are successful were successful because they did things in a certain way and created that success. But to kind of bring back the cliche, what got you here won't get you there. Right. So that's where that, you know, strategic thinking really has to come into play. And and sometimes we have to disrupt our own way of doing business because if we don't, somebody else might. Well, and I think especially now, if you think about classic competition, your your competitors or even the people who are on the fringes of competition tended to look like your organization. You were in yeah. the same industry. Yep. You know, they had the same size, the same scale. They had the same kind of people. They, they wrestled with the same kind of issues. And we try and tell people, and I've written about this, the company that's going to disrupt you, they don't look anything like you. They don't care about anything that you care about. And that's why they're so dangerous. And, and as an organization, you either have to get your management team to take on that role and almost step away from the organization and look at it in a very different type of way. Or I think some organizations, that's why they set up skunk works or they try and set up this entrepreneurial arm that is an arm length from the parent company and say, you know what, you've got the permission to go back after us and think about this in a different way. Because yeah, you've got your traditional competitors, but I would say rarely, but they're not going to be the ones who will 
deal that crippling blow. It's going to be somebody who you're never going to expect unless you're trying to anticipate and imagine a whole variety of possibilities that normal strategic planning isn't going to get you to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been in business a long time like you have and the industries that I've been in, you know, the competitors, like you said, kind of look alike and, you know, competitive edges, you know, come in very small incremental ways, could be pricing, it could be just better execution, better implementation, better, you know, better something that that provides small incremental advantages, but not really game-changing advantages. So when, when I hear you talk about, you know, we have to kind of think about our businesses differently. It, it really takes me back to just the strategic planning process. It, it almost has to start with thinking about that differently, uh, doesn't it? I mean, you know, in the old days, like you said, you started in April. My goodness, that was cumbersome and clumsy and time consuming. So how do we how do we do strategic planning differently now? How do we break through and simplify the processes and make it even, I know this is a crazy idea, make it fun. Is that <laughs> is that too nutty to think that strategic planning can be more simplified, more streamlined, and even fun and engaging? No. I mean, and that's that's really what we've tried to do and why brainstorming exists. I mean, I was doing it when I was doing strategy in the corporate world, we went through a period where we'd expanded the company three X in about 30 months. We went from about 3 billion to 10 billion. And we did that by buying competitors. And I got dispatched to these competitive companies, even though I had a job in their competitors as a VP of marketing I was told to go help them be better marketers and better strategists, but I couldn't tell them what to do because we all competed. And I just sat back and was like, okay, well, I don't really want to read through a bunch of reports, but if I can get them to talk about and think about their business in new ways and, and get a group of people working on a strategy, I think it can be that much more productive. And part and parcel of that is making it fun because if it isn't mentally stimulating, if it isn't engaging, people aren't going to want to do it. They're just going to slough it off and do whatever. So that's really where brainstorming got started was trying to figure out how to make it fun. And it's easy to think, well, part of that is a fun icebreaker and it's having toys in the room that people can throw at each other. And that's that's part of it, but that's about 5% of it. I think the fun comes from expanding the participation to people who wouldn't necessarily be involved in strategy. And I think people who do strategy all the time really don't want to do it because it is boring. (laughs) It's cumbersome. But people who are on the outside looking in are like, well, I wish I could participate in that. So it's, it's inviting more people, but importantly, making it a process that when those other people come into it, they're successful at it. And that isn't thinking about Porter's five forces analysis or write our new vision statement. It's asking them questions and giving them exercises and giving them ways to think that really tap into their knowledge, what they're seeing with customers, what they're seeing with operations. And it, it makes it fun, but it also makes strategy a lot more real world than it tends to be because you're bringing real knowledge to the table and thinking about how do we use this strategically to run and direct the business? I I can absolutely see the value of that. And I actually did see in my corporate career that transition beginning to take place. You know, in the early days of my career, strategy happened in the 
uh, in the corner offices, you know, <laughs> and none of us knew what was happening, you know, it, until it just kind of got rolled out. And, you know, in retrospect, that that was pretty myopic. And, and sometimes that showed in our strategy where I, I've kind of experienced what you're describing is uh, kind of the trend to start bringing in, you know, frontline people and middle managers and, and people from different functions so that you really had a broader sense of what was really happening in the business and in the marketplace and with customers so that strategy could be a whole lot more well-informed. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I, I say all the time, you can't have you're not going to get great strategy with eight guys that all look alike and basically have had all the same careers at the yeah. same company and run in the same circles and say, okay, guys, think differently. Well, there's nothing to instigate them thinking differently. Um, we had a client a couple of years ago. They got 25 of their top management people from around the country and put them in a room. And I told them at one point, I said, you all are the same person. I said, I don't need 25 of you. We need other people. And it was... It was interesting because so well, we, we just have this intern, this young African-American woman. She's got a lot of good ideas. We're going to hire her. I said, why isn't she in this meeting? They're like, well, because it's a management meeting. I was like, you guys make the rules. <laughs> There's no laws about who can be in here. And that's where we, on the front end, we sit down and say, who's going to be involved? And do you have various thinking perspectives. Do you have people with less tenure in your organization who don't have the vested interest? You maybe have people who are your outside partners who have different perspectives. And that's a big breakthrough for a lot of companies to get beyond that static group that, well, this is the group at the top of the organization. That's where strategy is going to happen. And, and some people have some people, that's an easier move. Some, it is just a real challenge to get them to think about just the composition of who works on strategy in, in any kind of a different way. Yeah, and that's an area, as I'm listening to you, where diversity really can be tremendously advantageous and diversity in, I mean, you, you brought up ethnicity, but also in functions, you know, and in thinking styles and in backgrounds so that you really do have, you know, a wide range of thinking styles. Therefore, we're going to develop a wide range of potential options. So uh, do you see diversity as an advantage in that process? Oh, absolutely. I think back to your point, it's meaningful diversity that helps right. and informs a strategy. I mean, you could have a group that nobody's the same, but that may not help you get to a better strategy. I mean, we the approach we try and take is bring in people who have general management operations, P&L responsibilities. And typically, we'd say that's about 50% of the people that you want involved because they're going to have to take responsibility for making that strategy work. So it, they are bringing a real world perspective. Functional experts, you know, that may be accounting, that may be HR, customer service, maybe it's marketing, finance. It's probably about 30, 35% because they'll come to the table with great processes, but they, those processes may not add value for customers, but you want to be thinking about doing things in a new way. And the, the rest of that, and whatever the numbers, 15, 20%, are the innovative thinkers, the people who just look at things in a different way. And 
we try and manage that composition. And I've had people point out there are some approaches to facilitating strategy where you try and fit everybody to think the same way at the same time. So we're going to think about analysis, and then we're all going to think about ideas, and then we're all going to think. We try and take the different approach of, I don't want everybody to think the same way. I want them to come to the table with their thinking style, and we'll use those in different ways throughout. And that's where the exercises, the tools sit in there so those groups can work together and not want to kill each other, which sometimes they want to do because they look at the world just so differently. Yeah, but but isn't there some benefit into that kind of creative tension? Oh, absolutely. I tell folks the worst brainstorming session we ever did, it was 100% creatives. It was uh, for an organization that was trying to figure out, they were going to come up with a theme for a UN conference and, and, and an exhibit for this. And all we had were creatives who wanted to get their point of view across. So nobody would collaborate. They, they couldn't align on anything other than, I've got this creative vision. I have to see it come to fruition. It's, it's the differences that, that right. really make you zing through planning and, and get you to better, better looks at things. So all creatives is not good either because that's actually not diversity. <laughs> exactly. 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 But I mean, that's, you know, you would think, oh my gosh, well, we'll, th- you know, think about ad agencies. We're going to throw our creatives. Let the creatives, well, no, get some of the account people in there, get clients in there. Right. They've got real power. Right. So I guess what I hear from you is strategy development is going to be more effective if you've got, you know, different groups, you know, executives, uh, kind of middle managers, functional managers that are managing the day to day, and then some folks that are going to bring outside perspectives, maybe from the customer uh, and just maybe just different. So it's really the blending of those kind of different groups that makes it work. Is that what I hear? Yeah, but but you have to be careful because if you put all of them in the room together, you may shut some people down. So if, if you put somebody front line with an executive, you know, that may just stop. Yeah. interaction or maybe stop new ideas. So we tend to talk about it as even if we've got 10 or 15 people working on strategy in a room, can we bring in dozens or hundreds of voices and perspectives through online surveys or interviews or online collaboration? So it's not always, hey, if we don't have the, the frontline plant worker and the CEO in the room, we're not going to get the right stuff. It's it's bringing those perspectives. So even if you don't have the frontline plant worker in the strategy session, you've got their perspectives represented and helping to shape what you're going to work on. Got it. Okay. So that, that makes good sense. So we don't have an auditorium of people. We've, we've got a manageable group of people and yet uh, you're working with them to create processes to bring in perspectives from other folks. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I want to get across to folks who are listening, this isn't a pitch for, hey, you got to use brain zooming to make strategy work. It's to think about who are those voices, who has those important perspectives in your organization, and just think about how could we bring them to the table as we think about strategy? Could we go talk to them? Could we give them a brief survey or, or other ways to bring those perspectives? You know, I, I went from a $10 billion company to BrainZooming, which is a relatively small startup, you know, right. even 10 years in, entrepreneurial company. And so a lot of those classic 
strategy roles fell back on me, but I'm reaching out to people all the time who've got other perspectives or other thoughts or, or clients. How are you reacting to this? Because I need that too, even with a smaller organization. Yeah. So yeah. if you've got entrepreneurs in the audience, this isn't, oh gosh, this is only for big companies. It's, it's challenge yourself. What does your network look like? How do you reach out to people in different ways within your company or within your professional entrepreneurial network and bring those perspectives in? That's a great point. I'm an entrepreneur like you are with a corporate background like you have, and I have to do the same thing, exactly what you described. Think about my business strategically, uh, but but not on my own. I have to I have to reach out and engage other people who I respect who are going to have uh, different points of view and help me think about things differently. So that's a great point. Yeah, and it, it may be somebody, too, who has no real role with your organization or your industry. Again, they'll look at it in a really fresh way. Right. Um, and a technique, I was actually with a group a couple of weeks ago that were mainly in the lawn care business. I think probably everybody in the audience was. And one of the techniques we taught them was to think about how do you think about what you do in a more general type way? and then what other organizations do things like that? And you can use those other organizations to, to help you get a guide or even play that role of that organization. So the, the classic story I tell people to set up that exercise is, you know, 10 or 11 years ago, I was talking to an executive MBA class and somebody from a hospital was there. And she said, you know, we just had one of these strategy sessions, you know, and, and nobody liked it. The doctors hated it. The staff hated it. Everybody hated it. We didn't have any new ideas. What would you do differently? And this is when I was still on the corporate side. It's like, well, maybe let's think about what your hospital does. So you fix things, fix people. It's for profit. There's education goes on. You're thinking about customer service, a whole variety of things. We said, who else looks like that? And we got to Home Depot. Well, Home Depot looks a heck of a lot like a hospital from that perspective. It's about fixing things. It's for profit. They do the, the seminars on Saturday about how to do things. So I said, great. How would Home Depot run your hospital? And pretty soon somebody threw out DIY surgery. We would have DIY surgery. And the, the person from the hospital was like, that's ridiculous. We'd never do that. Well, flash forward to 2015, and I've, I've got it in the deck. We talk about this. There's an article from Fast Company saying DIY surgery may be the future of medicine. So there's an example where that silly exercise of think about an organization that behaves like yours, but in a very different realm, could have given, given them a seven-year head start in looking at an innovative idea instead of just rejecting it out of hand. So that's yeah. a really great technique for entrepreneurs that think about who else is like us and let me take on that role and run my business from that, or at least imagine ideas for running my business from yeah. that new perspective. Yeah, that, that's a great example of looking at other businesses and what can we learn from that, even though they don't do exactly what we do. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, they may be somewhere it's, it's helpful right at that moment. There may be others that they're close enough analogies that you can just continue to look at them. You can look for marketing ideas. You can look yeah. at new product ideas and say, okay, they're way off in a different place. How would we interpret that and bring it on? 
over to our industry. It's, it's a great source of ongoing ideas. You bet. Good stuff. Let's kind of switch gears here a little bit, Mike. You know, one of the things I've seen in my career, and I suspect you have too, is companies that really do have a pretty solid strategy, but not necessarily implementing or executing well. And when that happens, and from my perspective, it's fairly common that there's a disconnect between strategy and implementation or execution, and the business suffers. Have you seen that uh, also? I suspect you have. And how do we close that gap between strategy and implementation? Yeah, and we we definitely see that. And I, I think maybe in a more pronounced way that I'm on the outside looking in because I tell people the stuff that we're doing in brain zooming, it got put together on the corporate side. So if it didn't work, I had people showing up in my office going, well, this isn't working. What are we going to do now? Or I need your resources to execute this. So it was always very highly attuned to the implementation side. And uh, we had a client, we just finished up working with them and, and I loved it. She told everybody, she's like, I got rid of the bookcase in my office because this plan is not going to sit on the shelf when we're done. And you know, I think some of the ways to confront that are even as you start planning to be thinking about implementation, who do you need to get buy-in and alignment from and yeah. involve them early on so they feel like they're a part of that strategy. Um, you know, Go back and look at other things that you've implemented where you've had challenges and, and, and dissect those and say, well, why did we struggle to implement that? Uh, you know, Change management, I think, is a big part of that is – Think about how is this going to change people's jobs? How is this going to change process in the organization? And anticipate that. Um, you know, and I think even the process change of strategy and involving those people who are going to be affected, it just makes it so much more real for them and makes it less of a communications effort. To Here's the 75-page plan. Now go read this and implement it. If, if people can be a part of that, it really helps the change management. And I think... Probably the last thing that we see and hear from, from again, strategists around the world who, who respond on some of these questions is just, how do you prioritize activities? And I think, I think with a lot of traditional planning processes that they were more removed from the front lines, you sort of have your plan done and then everybody goes back to, well, here's the stuff that we were working on beforehand. I think if you can bring those day-to-day activities and think about them strategically and, and have some good processes in place to think about resources and how much can you take on, I, I think all those things can help pave the way for better execution than if you don't anticipate those early on in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of seen that too. Having uh, the right people involved who are really going to be responsible for implementation is a really big deal. You know, one of the things I've seen too, Mike, this is kind of a basic question I hear asked, but it's still kind of powerful is, okay, we've got a strategy. So now what, what does good look like? <laughs> you know, and, and, I always find that that ends up being a pretty robust conversation because unless you really define that, you and I can define good really differently uh, if we don't really kind of talk about it. Yeah, it's interesting. This client I was talking about where the the lead person got rid of the bookcase, that was one of the big questions that everybody asked there is, what's good? What's good? And I I will admit I was a bit taken aback by that. It's like, is that – really your standard is just what's good. Because <laughs> I, I think for them, it was more of that, 
we don't want to get outside the line. So tell us what we should do. I would sort of, in those cases, challenge people to, you figure out not what's good, but what's great, what's exceptional, what's wildly different. And at least if, if we don't push out to that broader thinking, we're never going to get disruptive ideas. If we're focused on good, yeah. we're going to get that. Well, let's let's increase prices 3% this year versus 2%. Yeah. And that doesn't do a lot for anybody. Yeah, that's a fact. And, and maybe the question should be what's success look like? Um, you know, what's great look like? But I think the point there is, is let's get on the same page with, with what success really does look like. And sometimes that's just good metrics, good dashboard, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, I mean, to, to, to focus that from a planning standpoint, it's that you, you made forward progress, you, you can bring greater value to the marketplace, you can engage your employees more effectively, and you're doing it in a way that's coordinated and you can anticipate it. Now, there'll be happy surprises and there'll be unexpected challenges you, you didn't think about. But I think if you can step back and say, objectively, we've moved ahead and improved things for customers and employees, I think it may seem like a low standard to listeners, but I think I see a lot of strategic plans that look really great and nothing happens with them. So I think that low standard is is appropriate. And then you can start to get a little bit more artsy about how well are we executing these. Things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good, good point. So, Mike, kind of the airing of this uh, podcast is is likely kind of right in the middle of strategic planning uh, right. time you know, kind of towards the end of the business year in anticipation of the of the next one. So, you know, if a company's kind of already started the process, maybe even in the middle of it, uh, and then they listen to this, what are a couple things they can do in the middle of that process to make some big improvements? So I think one of them is the what we call the granddaddy of strategic planning questions is what are we trying to achieve? And, and you can really use that question anywhere in planning, if you feel like you're getting too tactical or people are, they've already decided what they want to do, that question about what are we trying to achieve is a great one to distill back to what's really going to be important, what matters for the business. And it can help help keep you out of the weeds on some things. And I think the other thing that for me seems easy, it may be, it may be tougher if you're in the midst of it, is really think about what do you need to run the organization? Uh, you know, what does that plan look like? Is it, a, is it a mini plan that has the first five tactics to get started? Do you need all of this competitive analysis? And, and really challenge that. If, you, if you've spent time on those things in the past and you're under the gun to get a plan done, are those going to really add value and success and improve your results? And be willing to walk away from some things that, well, it feels like we should have that in a strategic plan. But if you don't use it, Drop it, save the time, save the effort, and get on to implementation faster. So a couple of things there, I think, Mark, that, that can help even if you're in the midst of planning already. More is not always more, yeah. in my experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So a great conversation, Mike. I know we could do this for a couple of hours, but kind of as we're wrapping up, you know, just from your career, both corporate side, big business, and on the entrepreneurial side, what's the most important tip from the School of Hard Knocks that you've learned that you want listeners to take away from this conversation? So interesting question. Um, I was in a, a 
religion Bible class a few years ago, and they were talking about the definition of holy. And then they said holy was set apart. And I think too many organizations, Mark, almost think about strategy as, in quotes, holy, as set apart from the organization, set apart from the, the, the broad masses of people, whether that broad mass of people is two people or 20,000 or 50,000 people. Right. And this, this thing that is like you go up to the mountain to do strategy, that to me has been from both when we started doing this on the corporate side and trying to take a different approach and with brain zooming is to challenge that thing that strategy is holy and set apart from the organization. It is so much better when you view strategy is right at the center of, of addressing the things that we do every day, the things that create value for customers, and let's bring the voices and the perspectives who are most informed about those things, bring them into the strategy process. I, I just have seen that change the game for internal clients and since we had brain zooming for 10 years for external clients as well. That, that's a great way to make strategy fun. Ideally, to simplify it, but make it so much more of an impact for your overall organization and, and your success. Great tip. I appreciate that. And, and, and I've kind of seen that same thing, too. The more, the more people that we have engaged, the more accessible it is, the more people know what it is, the better execution uh, that we see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Mike, great stuff. Uh, so last thing is, how can listeners who are interested in, in your expertise, uh, and, and you have a lot of it, how can they contact you? Uh, Mike.brown at brainzooming.com is a great way to get a hold of me. We've got 2,500 articles about strategy and innovation and branding, uh, and it's not about how to use us. It's just about here's how to implement this type of stuff that we're doing. Those are brainzooming.com. And we have a new e-course out where if, if people want to learn some of the techniques and some of the behind the scenes that we've not necessarily shared all that before, that's at brainzooming.com slash simple strategy. And there's some e-courses and some ways to get the details and think about how can we really start changing planning, whether I'm an entrepreneur or whether I'm running strategy for a big company. Great. I appreciate how you make it accessible to folks. So thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark. You betcha. Hey, great conversation. Uh, thank you, Mike. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. You know, podcasts are the new NBA. So keep listening. Thanks for joining us on Real Business in Real Time with executive coach Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Be sure to connect with Mark Hinderleiter on LinkedIn, check out his leadership tip of the week, and subscribe to this podcast on the app of your choice. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.